Well, welcome wherever you are, wherever you're tuning in from, whether you're in our Fort Erie campus, um, if you're in one of our Buffalo lighthouses, if you're at your home, chilling, sitting on your couch, listening in your car, I trust that you have been absolutely blessed uh, this morning. I know that what God is doing in each of our lives is really genuine and really special in this season as uh, we're, we're forced and continue to be more and more forced to continue to trust in the Lord and everything he's doing. And we get to witness and be a part of the amazing miracles that are continually happening in our lives, in your lives, in your family's lives, and in the amazing things that are happening in our countries, in our cities. And so, trust you've been blessed today so far. And I mean, I got to tell you, I'm super excited to get into our new teaching series. Um, you know, when I came up with the theme, I didn't know if it was a great idea. I uh, just got so much great feedback from it. I felt like, you know what, what the hey, let's, let's give it a shot and see how people feel. So I'm excited to announce the official theme for the month of June is Potty Mouth. Um, and, you know, maybe you read the title and you saw that, you know, this week's teaching is the F word. And you might be thinking, the F word? Right? Like, what do I need to learn about the F word? I thought that we were in church. And, uh, you know, let me tell you, this is not the, the typical F word that people would usually use to, you know, to, 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 to say with the F word. But, you know, as I was thinking about it in preparation for the series... I think that sometimes the F word that we're going to talk about today, which is fault finding, is, is, you know, might I be brave enough to say worse than the traditional curse word, F word, because of the damage that it has the ability to do in our lives and in the people's lives. So uh, let's say a quick word of prayer, and then I'm going to get into my message today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing day. Thank you for the amazing things that you're continuing to do in our lives we ask for your presence right now, Holy Spirit, to come and rest heavy on us as we sit and listen to your word, that it would be transformative in its effect in our lives, that it would change the way we think, change the way we see, change the way we feel, change the way that we talk, change the way that we relate to people, that you would truly make us lovers of the word and lovers of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So to intro this theme, I'm going to intro it with um, a story. And probably one of the uh, significant moments I have had in my life. And so I felt like, what a better place than to intro this sermon with a story. And the story is of one of the first sermons that I ever preached. Now, let me qualify this in that it wasn't one of the first sermons that many of you have heard me talk about before. You know, the sermons where I would teach in our youth group and I would get up and I would have all my notes prepared and I would stand behind the pulpit and I would say the title of my message. My mind would go blank and my mom would have to rush up after and rescue me. Thank God we made it through that. Okay, so this is fast forward maybe a year or two. And this was one of the first few messages that I got asked to preach in, you know, big church, you know, Sunday morning, the main show. And, you know, I felt like, you know, I had done my, you know, two years of youth group teaching at this point. And, you know, I'm good now. Like, I figured out how to do this. And, you know, let's cut to the chase. The teaching was bad, right? I, I mean, maybe bad is even a bad way to say it. I think it would be better to find as a train wreck, a plane crash. It was kind of like watching the Titanic sink. It was a really, really bad time. I mean, 
I'm pretty sure I had like a 30 or 35 minute time slot. Talked so fast that I preached the whole message in like 17 or 18 minutes. I was sweating profusely from literally every sweat gland in my body. And I'm almost sure that I said like at least six or seven inappropriate things. It was a really, really bad experience. I mean, I knew it was bad. The people around me knew that it was bad. I finished my message, sat down in my chair, hung my head in shame and prayed to God that no one would come up and talk to me after my message. And it was going pretty good, you know, or at least the majority of the comments that I got were, you know, you know, kind of like nice try, better luck next time. You know, there was the twinge of hopefulness. And then there was this one critical man. Okay. Now here's the, here's the thing. Every church has this one critical person who goes to your church that everybody generally does their best to try to avoid because they know this person is going to pick them apart in some way. And this person laid into me. Okay. Like he cut me down. You know, he's you know, you spoke too fast. I could barely even hear the words that are coming out of your mouth. You were way too loud, you know, and, and to top it all off, you were so difficult to follow. I don't even think that I got anything out of the message. And then, you know, he, he, he said this, this, this clincher statement that kind of, you know, sealed up this negative present. And, and it was this, he said, I hope that you are good at something else because you'll never be good enough to be a preacher. Man, I can remember this moment that I had. And, you know, I felt that this story in my life, that as we maybe get a good chuckle out of it, this is the problem of fault finding. This is the, it's the problem with criticism. Now, I need to understand, I'm not talking about constructive criticism here, you know, like this helpful coaching style talk as, you know, there, there's this mutual understanding and you're trying to get better. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about this self-improvement journey that we go on. I'm talking about the, the destructive, the, the belittling, the, the fault finding, the nagging, the, 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 the hurtful, the critical these, this kind of talk. And, and probably some of you are thinking right now, like, thank God, there is a God in heaven. Like, thank you so much. And, and you're like copy and pasting the link to send to, you know, your boss or maybe to send out to your mother-in-law. And you're like, I need to make sure that of all the messages in the whole year, this is the one that my spouse needs to hear. Now, here's the thing. And Looking back, I wish that I would have changed the title of this message to not just potty mouth, but to my potty mouth. Because the truth of the matter is, is that a critical spirit is difficult to see in the mirror, right? Like we hate when people criticize us. But oftentimes we feel so justified in criticizing others because here's the truth they honestly deserve it, right? Like if it wasn't for the way they dressed, the things that they post on Instagram, maybe it's the way they drive or the way that they spend their money, maybe it's the way that they raise their kids and we feel justified in criticizing them 
because we know what's best, right? Like God has a plan and we have a plan. And so we somehow have this right to judge this person's vacation because we know that they're in debt and they shouldn't be spending their money to go on a vacation. And we know what's best. You know, I got to say, honestly, I'm pretty thankful that I'm preaching to a mostly empty room today because I know that I probably would get no applause at this point because it's hard to see a critical spirit in the mirror. Now, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Galatians chapter 5. And, you know, we're going to talk about this fairly famous scripture that if you're a Christian or a believer, I'm sure that you have heard this scripture before. Uh, if you are new to church or new to the Bible, again, there's probably a good chance that you had heard it. But there's one thing that I could almost guarantee is that the majority of us haven't heard or, you know, we really haven't heard the message that comes after it. So Galatians 5, chapter 14 and 15 in the New Living Translation says this, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, I'm sure that the majority of you have heard this, that it's a mantra maybe that you say regularly, that it's kind of the, the, the Christian bumper sticker that you were willing to put on your car because it so identified the way that you wanted to live, right? That you would love your neighbor as yourself. But then verse 15 kind of like swoops in, you know, and it says this, but if you are always biting and devouring one another, Watch out. Beware of destroying one another. What does he say? The whole word can be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. But, but you got to watch for this one thing. There's this one thing that kind of wants to sneak in there and remove our ability to love one another. And it says this, that if you're biting and you're devouring one another, if you're constantly criticizing or critical or judgmental, beware of destroying one another. I mean, like, I had this thought as I was preparing this message. What if your mouth was the thing that was destroying the intimacy that you so desire in your marriage? Like, what if that critical spirit is the thing that's putting the wall up between you and your children as you try to figure out why they won't open up to you? Right? What if it's the thing that's distancing you from friends? You feel so alone that no one wants to hang out with you. What if it's damaging your ability to witness to others about the amazing saving grace of Jesus Christ? Because the only things that are coming out of our mouth is this judgmental, critical tone. And this is what the scripture is saying to us in the book of Galatians is... Listen, love your neighbor. The law is fulfilled in one command. But there's also one thing that can destroy one another. Some of the verses that I want to take a look at today are, you know, kind of these verses that I call contrasting verses, right? They are, they're kind of like, if you do this, then this will happen. And if you do this, then this will happen. Right. Like it's like, for example, you know, you go visit your grandma and it's been some time and she like asks you this question, like, you know, is your phone broken? And you're like, what? Like, 
what on earth does this have to do anything? Like, no, my phone's not broken. And then she's like, well, I haven't heard from you in six months. Why haven't you called me then? Right? So these are kind of like grandma burn, you know, these are like bad dad joke grandma burn style verses. These are contrasting verses. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, the New Living Translation, it says this, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. It's contrasting that, you know, some people make these cutting remarks. They, they, they damage, they inflict pain and wounds, but there is another type of words, and it's the words of the wise. And instead of these words being cutting words, these words actually have the ability to bring healing. Ephesians 4 verse 29 in the New International Version says it like this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. So it's saying, listen, don't let anything come out of your mouth. Like every single word that you speak, make sure that the only thing that exits your lips are the things that are helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may, be, that it may benefit those who listen. Can I tell you, sometimes we have no idea how how much criticism can hurt someone's heart. That it can damage their spirits, that it can rob the life out of them, that it can inflict some of the deepest wounds. But at the same time, we have no idea how God can use one word that we would speak in obedience to, to bring a life of encouragement, to open up an entire world of hope to someone who previously was broken. And here's what I came to deliver a message, and that is that our words have power. The scripture says that blessing and cursing, life and death is in the power of your tongue. And the Bible says, listen, choose life. Why? Because the law is fulfilled in love your neighbor as yourself. But at the same time, the, the biting, that critical, that judgmental perspective, those words that cut people down can destroy the hope in people's hearts. You know, I'm so grateful that you know, my, my parents happen to be my pastors in this initial kind of exchange that I had with this unfortunately critical gentleman. You know, and, and I can remember kind of having this, the post meeting, which, you know, is, is kind of typical as we sort of talked through how I did and what I did. And, you know, I, I kind of got into this, you know, this little meeting that I had and, you know, you know, it was kind of, I'm pretty sure that like the first thing that my dad said to me was something like, you know, well, you know, you can only do better from here. You know, like there's, you literally have no farther fall that you could fall at this point, right? Like, you know, you, you definitely made some mistakes. You definitely said some things that you probably shouldn't have said, but, but we're not going to focus on those things. He said to me, let's talk about what you did right. Come on, can I tell you that in this moment that if, if my pastors, my parents would have in that moment stepped in and just 
hammered that critical spirit. There's a very real possibility that I may not be standing here today preaching the word to you, but instead they chose, instead of to bite at it, instead of to choose those critical words, they chose to to call out the gold. They chose to impart life and hope. And, you know, I can remember they said things, you know, to me like, you know, you had such amazing insight into this text. Like, I've read through this and heard so many people preach on this particular text and I had never seen it this way. You know, yeah, this person might have said that you were loud, but to me, it seemed like you were crazy passionate about the word and about what you were talking about. And, you know, you can't teach passion and passion is contagious. It's one of those things that people want to so yeah, you were loud, but, but I love the passion that, that you brought in. Listen, you know, the way that you spoke to people, you know, maybe you said a few inappropriate things that probably shouldn't say it next time, but your realness, your rawness, it really helped people to be able to connect to you. Listen, criticism can take you down, but encouragement, encouragement can build us up. You see, this critical guy, he was a life taker. But my parents, they were life givers, right? Like he stepped in and, you know, unintentionally, obviously, I'm not meaning to criticize him and his critical spirit, but he was a, he was a confidence shrinker. And my parents, they were those confidence builders. And I wanted to ask a very simple question this morning. Who do you want to be? Right, like, which of these two do we want to be? Do we want to be confidence shrinkers or confidence builders? Do we want to be life takers or do we want to be life givers? Who do you want to be? And so what I've done is I've broken this up into two separate categories. And we're going to talk about really these two roads that we can choose. This, this blessing and this cursing route that we can take with our mouths. And, and the first group of people I've labeled, like what the message is, they are the fault finders. They're the fault finders. They are they're the people who find fault and search for the fault in others. And the, the truth of the matter is, unfortunately, because of our sinful nature as human beings, this is what most people are, right? Our, our, our own deception, our own wounds, our own hurts, our own insecurities, our own stuff drives each of us, the majority of us, to be fault finders in our lives, right? Like, I, you know, I'm sure that you've heard these things before, you know, like, you know, my spouse, you know, they, he doesn't chew right, right? I mean, it's just the way that they walk. They, they just don't walk right and it drives me nuts. Like the way they drive, oh God, don't even get me started. I could barely get in the car with them and breathe, right? Oh, it's just the way, the sound, the tone, it's the whistling, it's the, oh, the breathing just drives me 
bonkers, right? Maybe for you, it's, it's the way that, that that person runs the meeting or, or maybe it's the shows they watch. And oh my gosh, I can't believe the shows that they watch or, or maybe it's what they eat or how much they eat or how little they eat or how much they care about what they eat or maybe it's what they post on their Instagrams and oh my gosh, there's no way that they could be a Christian. Can you believe what she was wearing in that Instagram post? Or maybe it's their kids and the way they choose to raise their kids, whether they vaccinate or don't vaccinate, whether they homeschool or public school or private school. Maybe it's the recent vacation that they went on that you wish you could have gone on. And so instead of being happy for them, you criticize them because you think that they should have fault finders. And if you're like this, you're in good company, unfortunate company, but good company because this is exactly the way the Pharisees were. They sought to point out the faults in others to elevate themselves. They were constantly looking for what was wrong in the lives of others, not, not so that they could help people grow, but so that they could show how great they were. You know, another good fault finder was the devil, right? The devil is given a whole bunch of different names. You know, he's called the deceiver. You know, he's called Lucifer. He's called the enemy. And in Revelations chapter 12, he's known as the accuser. He stands constantly day and night and finds faults of those who belong to God. So here's the thing, why do we do it then? Right, like, I mean, being put in the same camp as the Pharisees or the devil, I mean, nobody wants to live there, so why, why do we do it? The first and probably main reason why I would say we do it is very simply put, pride. Is we just honestly think that we know what's best. We know what's best in our lives. We know what's best in our friends' lives. We know what's best for the church. We know what's best for the pastors. We know what's best for our spouse. We know what's best for our neighbors. We just generally feel that we know what's best. I'm pretty sure there have been times where I have literally criticized America thinking that I knew how to deal with things better than an entire country. It's pride. The second main area is that we tend to criticize others about things that we see in ourselves, but we are insecure about those things. So I'm insecure about this. I see that thing in somebody else. And in an effort to shield others from seeing this in me, I point it out in somebody else. And the third main area is honestly that we just don't understand. I think honestly, the majority of us, this kind of blends in there with the pride one. We think that we know, but we honestly don't understand. I like to think of it as that we comment without the context. That 
Maybe there are things. Maybe, maybe you've struggled, honestly, with the decisions that the church has made to embrace COVID and to make the decisions for COVID based off of what we felt was best for the staff, the, the people, the, the, all the different safety things that are necessary. And so we comment, but then when you sit down with somebody and you understand why we did what we did, it's easier to understand. And I've realized that, honestly, it's easy to criticize from a distance, right? Like, let me give you an honest example in my life. It was like when I saw two-year-olds having a temper tantrum in the grocery store before I myself had a two-year-old, right? Like before you have kids, you have this very utopian idea of what it's gonna be like to have kids in the future. And always in this utopian dream that you have, your child is basically like Gandhi but baby Gandhi, right? Like they're just peaceful and loving and they just always do the right things all the time. And then you actually have a two-year-old and you're in the grocery store and your two-year-old is freaking out, having a tantrum tantrum on the ground and everybody's looking at them and you're like, listen, like we have a policy in our house that we just don't negotiate with terrorists. And you're like, listen, you're trying to like talk to them and you know, what do you want? You want chocolate? You want candy? You want a pony? You want a Porsche? It doesn't matter. I will give you literally whatever you want. Just please shut up and stop embarrassing me in the middle of the grocery store. But we just don't understand. Our lack of context, our lack of closeness, we just don't understand. So when we criticize, you know, why, why do we do? We criticize because oftentimes we think that, you know, it's going to make us look smart. It's, it's going to make us like an expert, you know, like all the people on social media posting and commenting on all the things, thinking that somehow it's going to make us seem like an expert. Maybe some people feel that we criticize as a form of humor, that it makes us seem funny, that maybe it's going to make people like us better. And I have news for you. It honestly doesn't. Right? Like when we're critical, judgmental people, it only makes us look insecure and mean-spirited. I mean, honestly, ask yourself, have you ever met a critical person that you wanted to be like? Right? Like, in fact, you know, like speaking of critical people, right? There's this, this verse in the Bible, right? It's actually a verse about a critical woman in the Bible, right? And, you know, and maybe some of you right now, you're like criticizing me for bringing this up, but, but listen, we have to understand something. This is the word of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord, right? Now, men, let me give you some tips on this one, right? Look forward, right? Like keep your elbows tucked in. Don't elbow anybody. Take some deep breaths. So your heart rate slows down. Listen, don't you dare nod. And absolutely under no circumstances, do not say amen as I read this story. Just be normal. Let go and let God, right? I could make this joke right now because my wife wasn't here because after this joke, you would see a sandal hurl across the room and smack me in the head. And this is what it says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 19 in the Living Translation. It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. 
It's better to live alone in the desert, secluded. You know, if I was to creep, to, to, to get the opportunity to write my own book in the Bible, right? Like, like first Alex chapter three, verse 16 would say like, you know, it's better to, it's better to have bamboo shoots like jammed up your fingernails for the rest of your lives than to live with a man who constantly picks you apart about every single thing that you're doing wrong. Here's the truth. Critical nature goes both ways, and I've never met a critical person that I have wanted to be like. Never been a critical person, honestly, that I wanted to be around even. So we have this option. Who do we want to be? Do we want to be the fault finders? Do we want to be those critical people who who constantly are searching for ways that we can belittle or tear down or, or the other classification of human being that I want to talk about today is hope dealers. Do you want to be a hope dealer? Now I need to qualify because we're streaming online and maybe there's a little static in my microphone that I said, hope dealer, hope with an H, not with a D. Do we want to be hope Dealers. I don't want to be a fault finder. I want to be a hope dealer. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says it like this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? I, I love Paul. I love what he writes. And, and I mean, Paul, I, I got to be honest, Paul was really like the chief hope dealer in the scriptures, right? Like if we go into Romans chapter eight, we see that this is, this is kind of almost like the most hope that's dealt in a single passage of scripture, right? Like just right before this, he says like, listen, there's no condemnation in Christ that whatever you have done, it doesn't matter. There's no condemnation here that God forgives that he says that, listen, you might feel insecure because of your weakness, but the spirit helps us in our weakness. That, that Jesus right now is interceding at the right hand of God, that, that you are more than a conqueror in Christ. He says this, he says that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, there's nothing present or in the future. There's not any powers, there's not height or depth nor anything in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. Paul was the hope Dealer. Do we want to be fault finders or do we want to be hope dealers? Do we want to be like the Pharisees? Do we want to be like the enemy or do we want to be like our King Jesus? Let me, let me tell you, I, I love the names of Jesus. I love as scripture walks us through him helps us to grow in our understanding of who he is by, by giving him specific names. Like they call him, he's the bread of life, that, that he's living water, that he's the good shepherd. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the alpha and the omega. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Jesus is called our hope. He is our hope. Jesus is the ultimate hope dealer. In Titus chapter 2, Jesus is then called the blessed hope. 
And in 1 Peter chapter 1, Jesus is called that he is our living hope. Jesus was a hope dealer. I want to be a hope dealer. I want my words to be used to build people up, to encourage people, to, to help people to see the bigness of the amazing destiny that they have in Christ. I don't want to tear people down. I don't want to chop people down. I don't want to belittle people or criticize people. No, I want to deliver a hopeful message with every word that comes out of my mouth. Right, we see this in the story. Like I referenced a few weeks ago, the woman who's caught in the, the act of adultery. And, and we, we, we see the Pharisees in this moment, right? This, this woman in adultery is dragged out, probably naked into the streets. And as, as shameful as this act already is, we see the fault finders, the Pharisees. They want to continue to just kick her when she's down and kick her when she's down and find fault and call her out. And, and they want her to be stoned in this act. And... And then we meet Jesus. Jesus, the ultimate hope dealer. Right? Like Jesus, he was, he was a bad dude. He, right? Like these Pharisees, they're trying to criticize this woman. And, you know, they're going at her and they're going and they're questioning Jesus and they're trying to catch him. And they don't even really care about what's happening with the woman. They more so care that they catch Jesus in this, this moment kind of of this challenging situation. And, they asked Jesus this question, like, should we stone her? And Jesus just bends down in the sand. And scripture says he starts writing, writing in the sand. And scholars say that based off of the, the words that are used, it's, it, it's most likely that what Jesus began to do was write down the sins of all these fault finders, of all these people who are so apt to call the fault out in others, instead of seeing the critical spirit on the inside of them, he writes down their sins. And what do we see one by one? They turn and they walk away. And Jesus has this interaction with this woman. And he says, listen, woman, where, where are the fault finders? Where are your accusers? But here's the deal. Jesus doesn't just leave her there because a hope dealer doesn't just leave someone in their pain. But what does Jesus do? Jesus says, go, go your way and sin no more. Listen, I don't condemn you, but I also don't want to leave you in this place of brokenness and shame and pain. Get up, stop sinning and go be something better. Go live out the amazing plan that God has for you because Jesus was not a fault finder. He was a hope dealer. So who do we want to be like, right? Do I want to be like Satan, the father of lies, the deceiver, the prince of darkness, the accuser of the brethren? Or do I want to be like Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, the living hope? I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be the fault finder who, who belittles and demeans. I don't want to be the fault finder who constantly tries to tear people down. Instead, I want to be this hope dealer. I want to deal life. I want to deal strength. I want to deal encouragement. I want to bend a knee to the broken. And I want to help people out of their shame. And I want to encourage people in their moments of weakness. Because listen, we have no idea how damaging a word of criticism can be. 
But we also often have no idea how life-giving, how encouraging, how fortifying a word of hope is. So listen, I know that your child may not be the most tidy. But listen, they may be incredibly compassionate. They may be thoughtful and loving to a fault. And instead of focusing so much on what your child isn't, tell them what they are. Right? Like maybe your roommate eats your food or wears your clothes, but she's the most loyal friend. Tell her. Right? Like your wife may not be the most organized person, but she is an absolutely incredible mom. So listen, instead of picking her apart for what she's not, love on her and encourage her for what she is. And listen, ladies, I know your husband, like your yard, it may never win yard of the month, right? Your husband, maybe he doesn't like the honey-do list. Maybe he doesn't like to do outdoor chores. So when he finally gets out there and, and you know, pulls the lawnmower to start, after he walks in, you just let him know, baby, you were so, so sexy pushing that mower. Like those high white socks, ooh, baby, I like what I see. Why? Because we have the opportunity. We can either criticize and tear people down, or we can call the gold out in people and deal that hope to everybody we're around. Can I tell you, church, I refuse to be a fault finder, that I have made a decision that in every word, in every action, I'm going to do my very best to be that hope dealer. You might be like, Alex, man, you are so passionate about this. And I'll tell you why, because there was once a time when I had so much pride. I was so critical. I was I loved cutting people down because of my pride, but really my pride was just a front. It was just the facade that I put, put, put up to cover my insecurities. You know, I was insecure when I married Danielle about, you know, life and my, my status and my things. And, you know, so I would constantly like pick apart people in their marriages and, you know, oh, they're holding hands right now, but I guarantee you this is just a that. And, you know, I would talk about people with their money that, oh, they only where they are or they only have what they have because of this. And, you know, I would honestly do this with other churches and I would talk about their growth and I would pick other churches apart. Why? Because I was trying to fill the void of my insecurity, but I've made a decision that I'm not going to point the speck out in your eye when I have this giant log in my own. Because can I tell you, church, when we understand the depth of our sinful nature, when we understand the, the what we deserved. It points to the immense magnitude of God's amazing grace. The Bible says, well, I was a sinner. Instead of God pointing out all my sin and condemning me and, and judging me for my sin, what does he do? 
he deals the greatest hope possible, and that is in the form of his son, Jesus. And he gives me this amazing opportunity to trade in my sin for his grace. And because I know who God is, I refuse to tear people down. Listen, I'm here to make a bold declaration today. I am a hope dealer. Let me ask you this, church. Who are we? Who are we as a church? Who are we as Light City? But listen, we are people of God. We are hope dealers. We are the people who, when the rest of the world wants to point out people's sins, we just simply want to point people to Jesus. I want to point you to the living hope. I got to point you to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it doesn't matter what you're doing in your life. I'm going to point you to the forgiver of your sins. Why? Because I'm not here to point out your problems. I'm here to point you to Jesus. We are not fault finders. Anybody can be a fault finder. It's easy to be a fault finder. The Pharisees were fault finders. The devil was a fault finders. We are followers of Christ. We speak words of life and blessing and encouragement and hope. Why? Because we have no idea. You have no idea where you're sitting right now. What that word of encouragement what the decision to, instead of criticize, but to sow life. You have no idea what that word of encouragement can do to change someone's life. And like Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, I'm going to close with this. He says, I will close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. And it says, then. Listen, then. When we're joyful, when we choose maturity, when we choose growth, when we choose to be hope dealers and encourage each other, when we choose to live in this place of harmony and peace, it says, then the God of love and peace, He will be with you. See, we have no idea how much criticism can hurt someone. But we also have no idea how much hope can heal. I'd like to take a minute to pray for each and every one of us. And listen, I understand that in the culture that we live in, in the climate that we live in, going through the season that we just went through, I mean, I'm pretty sure that 99.9999997% of us can in some way, shape, or form identify as being a fault finder. Maybe you slipped into it. Maybe you never used to be this way. Maybe you've always been this way. One of the things that I know is that God's grace is here. And His grace has this amazing power to lift us up out of this fault finding perspective. So I'd like to take a minute to pray for each and every one of us that as we step forward, as we walk into our Mondays, as we walk into those challenging situations that we are inevitably going to continue to face, that we would be hope dealers instead of fault finders. So Heavenly Father, I pray for every man, woman, and child, every person under the sound of my voice, 
Lord, we choose, we make a bold declaration today that we are hope dealers. That we refuse to be fault finders. We refuse to be critical and judgmental people. We refuse to try to elevate ourselves by belittling others. We choose to, 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 or we refuse to label people based off of their sin, to criticize people because they don't prescribe to a particular belief or a particular way of life or a particular sexuality or a particular gender. Lord, we declare, Heavenly Father, that we are not fault finders. We're lovers of God and we're lovers of people and we are hope dealers. So we ask for your grace this morning. That your grace would heavily set on us because Lord knows I need help to not be a fault finder. And I ask for your grace for that this morning. Help me be a hope dealer. If you find yourself on the stream right now, maybe this link got sent to you and and you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm a, I'm a critical person and I don't want to be that anymore. Let me take another step forward and say, maybe it was the critical attitudes of a church you went to or somebody that you heard, or maybe it was a, somebody standing on the corner of a street with a sign and that, that, that criticism just broke you down. And now because of that, you're far from God. I'm gonna tell you something God loves and his grace is enough. And God isn't concerned with where we are right now. What he is concerned with is that we enter into a life-giving relationship with him and allow him to lead us in the way of life. So I'm going to invite us to pray a prayer that we would enter into a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart, that that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, sent from heaven to die for our sins that we would enter into this life-giving relationship with Him. So I'm going to ask you as we follow what Romans says, that we confess with our mouths that wherever you are, that we would just together as one giant family across the whole world, that, that we would pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God sent from heaven to be the Savior of this world. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are my Savior. Fill me, cleanse me, forgive me, heal me, change me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.